You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. We've been looking since Pentecost at uh, the beginning chapters of Acts and just been enjoying what the Holy Spirit is teaching us through that. We do that every year, and every year it's like, oh wow, this is better than I remember it. There's more here than I thought. Just the joy of looking at Pentecost and the acts of the Holy Spirit uh, through the early church, the early believers as they came to Christ, as they're all praying and they've been in fear (laughs) after the the crucifixion and then the resurrection and the 40 days that Jesus was uh, teaching the disciples about the kingdom and then bringing them to that place of waiting upon the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. And on the day of Pentecost, the promise of the Father was released. The prophecy of Joel 2 was fulfilled. The Spirit came upon all the believers. They spoke in languages that they hadn't learned. They spoke in tongues. There was an amazing phenomena. And Peter got up and preached his first sermon. 3,000 came to Christ. They started discipleship group immediately. And we see that from that point on, we get this general thing in in Acts 2.42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we've been looking at those things. And as we go from just the general that there were many miraculous wonders and signs that were done by the apostles. Now we come to chapter three where we get the specific, we get the laser perspective. We come with the magnifying glass and we see what that actually looked like. And last week we looked at the, the, the man who was born lame from birth. He, was, he, he never walked a step in his life and he was a professional beggar, and they put him at the beautiful gate there at the temple entrance, and he would cry out for alms. And it just so happened that the disciples, they were devoted to prayer. So at the time of prayer, they're going to the temple courts to pray. And they see this guy, and he sees them, and there's a connection, which I think the Lord is really trying to bring an anointing to all his sons and daughters that we start to see people the way he sees people. And Peter and John saw him. He saw them. And he thought he was just going to get a a denarii or something. And instead he got a healing, a supernatural healing. And as we looked at that healing, we saw that it was a complete healing. And that gets covered in our passage today. It was an absolute complete healing. So in John chapter, or Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, 
but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and return to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. Father, we ask for ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes so that we could see what you, Father, are doing in the earth today. We pray, Father, that you would open our hearts to receive the full truth and revelation of our risen Lord, the one who lives forever and ever. And so, Holy Spirit, come. Let your voice be heard within my voice, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the lame beggar, no longer lame, still probably not begging anymore. And what's he doing? The first thing he's doing in the midst of all this is he's attached to the ones that just worked a miracle in his life. Whoa. Now, you know, we're supposed to keep our professional distance from getting too attached to people. Now, when God moves through someone, there's something that draws us to the God who moves through them. And the best way to get to the God who moves through them is to attach yourself to them. Makes sense to me. Yeah. The thing of it is, the, the difficulty is that when we do that, and if we then think that they are God, then we, we run into idolatry. There is only one God. But when someone ministers something powerful to me, I'm kind of taken with that. I like that. I want to find out how is it that the Lord moves so powerfully through you to release healing to my body, to give a prophetic word that just impacted my spirit and my soul in such a radical way that I feel like, wow, I am not the same person I was before you did what you did. Since you have done what you've done, I'm different. There, there is a marked change that has happened. And when that happens, woo, our lives change. That's what we're supposed to be doing as sons and daughters of the Most High. The very things that Jesus did, he said that we will do and even greater things than that. I would just be happy with doing the things that he did. I haven't even wrapped my brain around the greater things yet, but I find my spirit believes it. You have to have that place where there is hope, where there's hope that there is something even greater than what you've known. The, one of the things that the, the enemy does with us is he wants us to, to get very, very sterile in our religious life. Because the more sterile we are, the, the, less, the less interaction there is relationally with the Spirit of God. 
And so when we get everything nice and clean and there's a fresh antiseptic and all the sin is gone and we are just squeaky clean on the inside and here comes somebody who's going to contaminate us. Oh, they have cooties. And their cooties are going to get all over us. And it's, it's just going to make us unclean. And so religion would say, separate yourself from them. But Jesus said, walk with them. In the Old Testament, <laughs> you've heard me say this a million times. If a leper touches you, guess what? You are unclean. In the New Testament, if you are a, a, a spirit-filled believer walking in relationship with Jesus and a leper touches you, the leper's healed. There's a big shift between the old and the new through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a whole new game. And this guy was touched profoundly and he's latched on to Peter and John. He will not let them go. He's right there. So the people, the people in the temple area, they see this and they're astonished. We've seen that we're filled with awe, amazement, wonder, and now astonished. We're kind of running out of synonyms for the human response when you see something too good to believe, something that is miraculous, when you see that. And they're, they're astonished. They saw the man. They recognized him as the beggar who sits at the, at the gate beautiful. And they've known he's never walked a day in his life. And there he is walking and leaping and praising God. Meaning that he was healed physically, he was healed emotionally and he was healed spiritually. He was healed completely. And as the people saw that, they came rushing over. They, 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 they wanted to see what in the world is going on here. And so they're just completely astonished. And so they run to them in, in Solomon's colonnade. Now Peter may have been a little slow before his restoration but now that the Holy Spirit's on him, the last time he saw a bunch of people gathering together because they heard the praises of God in their own language, he knew to take advantage of that. And by the unction of the Holy Spirit, he got up and he preached his first sermon. And, and when I see this, I'm just saying, what, what's happening with Peter and John? They're saying, hey, let's do it again. Let's do it again, man. Look, we got, we got, we got an audience here. Look, they're coming because they see Larry, who's just been healed, lame Larry is no longer lame. And as they see him and they're drawn to him, they say, let's preach. Let's preach. Now, mind you, Peter has not been to seminary. He hasn't had his homiletics class. You, you, you don't try to offend your audience, which, man, Peter could really be right there, right there in their face. And, and look what he does. He says, let's do this. He says, first of all, why does this surprise you? Duh. Why does it surprise them? They haven't seen anything like this since Jesus. And if they hadn't been around Jesus, they may have never seen anything like this. These kind of miracles from birth just don't happen. And so there, the, there it is. Why does this surprise you? 
First thing they, he does after that is he says, oh, it's not us. It's not any inherent power that we have. It's not because we're holy and righteous. It's, it's not out of our goodness that this has happened, our godliness. No, it doesn't have anything to do with us other than we become the disciples of Jesus. And we have submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And now the anointed one has released his anointing upon us. And so we can speak in his name <clears throat> and his power and his virtue flow through us and changes concrete, physical, emotional, spiritual things in our lives. Hmm. So if you want to know how it happened, if you're really that surprised, guess what? I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And notice how sneaky he is. He knows his audience. They're a bunch of Jews. They're a bunch of Hebrews. And so what's he do? He gets to Jesus by starting with the God of their fathers. And he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. He, he starts right there. Yahweh. Yahweh. You know all about him. We've got the Torah, we've gone through, we've gone to synagogue, we've come to temple, we know all the teachings about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This God has glorified Jesus, the servant Jesus. It's interesting that he uses the word the servant Jesus. Me, I would say the son Jesus, God's son Jesus. But he knows his audience. And he's speaking to them as those that know about the one that is called the suffering servant of Isaiah. The prophecy of Isaiah that has come all through their life. They've studied Isaiah, the wonderful, great, major prophet Isaiah. And they understood that there was going to be a Messiah, that there was a servant who would come and who would suffer. And when you look at Isaiah 53, you see Jesus fulfilling that whole prophecy about the Messiah in that suffering servant section of Isaiah. He suffers, he suffers, he suffers. The suffering of Jesus was so great in Isaiah that he says that he was beaten so badly that you couldn't recognize him. That there was nothing about him that would draw you or attract you because of the suffering and the punishment and the beating that he endured. And if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, if you can get through the movie, it's like you get a picture that he was totally unrecognizable. That the beating and the suffering and the punishment that he endured at the hands of men was unimaginable. He's glorified his servant, the suffering servant, the fulfillment of the prophetic prophecy of Isaiah in Jesus. Now he kind of gets kind of in their space. Sometimes when he does that, I'm thinking, yeah, give it to him, Peter. Give it to him. Give it to him. <clears throat> He's going to really lay into them. And then you realize, you know, Peter is speaking under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes my human want to give it to those that hurt Jesus 
I just really want to beat them up for hurting Jesus until I look in the mirror and realize I'm the one responsible for the punishment that came upon Jesus. And so when you see that in light of what we actually are partakers, this brings a brokenness in us. This brings something that humbles us when we hear what our sin has done to Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, even though Pilate was going to let him walk. Pilate found no reason for crucifying Jesus. You disowned the holy and righteous one you asked that a murderer would, murderer would be released instead of Jesus. You killed the author of life. That's some heavy stuff right there. I always like to think that belongs to the Jews until the Holy Spirit makes application of the scripture and he shows it belongs to me. Before we came to him, this is what our sin did to him. But, oh, but, I love divine buts. But God, but God raised him from the dead. We killed him, but there wasn't a grave that could hold him. And God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. We have seen it. We're the witnesses of this. They are not only the witnesses of everything that the leaders had done against Jesus, but they were also witnesses that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so here's their witness. We are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus. There's something about that name. All the wonderful songs throughout church history that have focused on the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, beautiful name, beautiful Savior. All the songs that go. Then the, the more recent one, what a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Jesus' name is so beautiful. So amazing. There is power in the name of Jesus. So much so that people who for impure motives have understood that there's power in the name of Jesus and have used the name of Jesus to release something even though they didn't believe. It's amazing what happens, how powerful the name of Jesus is. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Hmm. By faith in the name of Jesus. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him. Hmm. 
sometimes my analytical nature wants to get right in there and try to dissect this and figure out if I can figure out what's the key mysterious dynamic to healing. Oh, you got to use the name of Jesus. And you got to say it with authority. Or you got to say it with love. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Or got to have faith. So I, I need more faith. I need more faith. I need more faith. So I can say the name of Jesus at the right time and the right way to get the right result. Right and it's like, oh my stars. How many times have we gone around that mountain? We just keep going, chasing our tail, trying to figure out the mystery. There is no mystery to it. The truth of it is in the relationship that we have with the person of Jesus. When we know the person of Jesus, we know the name of Jesus. And as we know the name of Jesus, we know the person of Jesus. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. But you can begin from either place. If you know the name, get to know the person behind the name. If you know the person of the name, learn how to use and exercise the name in that relational authority that has been given to you so that you can release the kingdom of God the way he released the kingdom of God when he walked on planet earth. Mm. This was a complete healing. And that's what I'm going for today. I'm done with partial healings. I'm ready for complete healings. If something gets initiated today, that's great. But I want to see it fulfilled. And I don't want to see a stop until it has been fully fulfilled. I want us to believe. To believe that the name of the Lord Jesus, the person that we have been building relationship our whole lives with. Sometimes we got lost in the religiosity of it, but now we're understanding the personal nature of a relationship with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We want to know that so that we can see everything that he paid for, everything that he paid for on the cross, everything that his death and resurrection and ascension has secured for us. We want to know how to steward that on the earth, not in a halfway type. We want to see it in a complete a full type. Now theologically I understand that we're in the already in the not yet. That's fine. That's a great that's a great theology. I believe in that theology. But I don't want to use that theology as an excuse for not believing for the completeness. I don't want to use the already and not yet. I always have that in the back of my mind, but I don't want to use that as it comes to seeing what God wants to do in an individual's life today and almost prophesy that it's not going to be complete. I want the Lord to give me the faith and the hope and the love that he wants to complete the healing that he's begun. As you can all see. This is why it's important to, for in the body of Christ in a local fellowship to have physical healings, emotional healings, spiritual healings. That's why we need new, new baby converts. We need people who have gone from dark into light. 
We need people who were, were infirmed and have been touched by the power of God and are whole. We need people who are emotionally crippled and broken coming into fullness in life. One of the things I think the Lord wants to go after this morning is sexual brokenness. I, I felt this morning as I was waiting before him, he says, there's so much sexual brokenness in my body that I want to heal. It's not about shame and it's not about condemnation and it's not about, you know, uh, the consequences of the choices that you made. The enemy loves keeping you in that bag. But the truth is, he wants to heal sexual brokenness among us. I love that. I love that about him. He is so good. He is so wonderful. So I want to see the complete healing. We all see it. It builds us up in our faith. It helps us to see and understand how wonderful God is. Well, what do you do when it's not happening around you? Read your Bible. Read the Gospels. Read the book of Acts. And say, Lord, I believe that what you did then, you want to do today. Do it today. We got a, we're part of a blessed community where it's, a, a, for the first time, we're a, a body of Christ that's global. And we can go across the nation and you can hear preachers every day that are, that are way better than me. You can get fed anywhere and everywhere. You can hear testimonies of people who are healed. <laughs> Find those resources that you have confidence in that you believe are true. If you're one of those Bereans and you want to search everything out, go right ahead and search it all out. But then once you realize that this ministry is, is rock solid, then see the testimonies of the healings and the miracles that have been done. So good for us. I love that I have the opportunity to be exposed to so many different wonderful miracles that the Lord's done that I wasn't physically there to see. But now they're taking their iPhones and they're hitting the camera button and they're videoing the healing that's taking place. Finger of God one, finger of God two, just Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost 1, Holy Ghost 2. You know, there's so many different things where they've captured the power of God on video to encourage you. If you have prophetic words and you've had them recorded, listen to them. This last one that I've got has been so encouraging to me. I listen to it all the time. What's all the time, Rick? About once a week sometimes twice a week. Sometimes it's so good I listen to it three times in a day because I need to hear it. I don't know what you need to hear, but you need, you're the one that's responsible for stewarding the intimacy of that relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No one else can steward it for you. You're the only one that can do that. As you begin to steward that, you'll begin to see and experience what Paul has called the fullness of God. The fullness of God residing in us. I want to see that. I want to experience that. I want to know that. So now, brothers, right now, in light of all of this, like I said, I don't think he was giving them you dirty rats. 
you know, but he did tell them the way it is, what the cost of human sin has cost the Messiah, <laughs> the suffering servant of God. Now, brothers, <laughs> I know you acted in ignorance. You didn't know, as, as your leaders didn't know. Okay, you didn't know. But I've just told you. Okay, now you know. Okay, before you didn't know, but now you know. This one that you gave up, he is the one God has glorified. He is the resurrected one. This is the son of God. This is the servant. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. You had ignorance as an excuse, but now I want you to know, Father already knew what you were going to do. And in his wonderful plan of redemption, he made it so that the ones who did this to Jesus are the very ones who get to be redeemed by Jesus. He knew that you were going to do this. He told us in Isaiah that the Messiah would suffer. So this was to fulfill the suffering. This is to help us see that Jesus really is the Son of God. So what do we do? We're no longer ignorant. We can't use that excuse. Repent and turn to God. Repent makes us a little nervous sometimes. You hear repent, repent. It's, it's one of my favorite words. <laughs> I'm a little sick, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I love repent. Somebody says, what's the word of the Lord? Repent. <laughs> you know, there's always something to repent from. Even if, you're fl even if you're walking toward Christ the best you can, guess what? You can still repent. You're not going to repent from stuff, but you're going to repent to more. There, there, there is a dynamic in repentance that it's not just about the things that we're leaving behind, the, the direction, the shift, the change, the stuff that we're going to stop doing, but it's all about the things that we're going to start doing. It's about the direction that we're going and that we're going now in this direction. And as I'm going this re direction, I can repent even to more and to more. When Jesus says to his disciples as he's getting ready to exit the earth and John, he says, there's so much more I have for you, but right now you can't bear it. You can't bear it. So let's repent some more. The more you repent, the more you're able to receive. Especially as we're repenting unto him, repenting, continuing to get laser focused in the direction that we're going. We're going for your heart. We're going for your love. We're going for your purposes, your redemptive purposes on the planet. That is the direction that we're going. And as we do that, that is a form of repentance. Because now we're, re we're repenting from our, I don't know how you guys calibrate these things, but it's like, you know, when I got saved, I was like 110% just all about Jesus. And then as I got mature, I probably watered down to 75%. And then as I got ordained, I probably watered it down to about 50%. Uh -huh. And as I started the pastor, I probably got down to 25%. Because you guys bring a whole lot of pressure and problems. And it's just like, 
But as I repent, I start moving the other direction. I get more. I have more relationship. Now, I don't trust in my ability to exegete the scriptures. I, I thank God for the training that I have. Thank you, Jesus, for all that. But as far as my relationship with a person, the person of Jesus, I have to spend time with him. I can't just spend time studying and think I'm building relationship with him because there are people who have studied this thing and got their PhD and they hardly even know who he is. Now the best is to get your PhD and have relationship. That's, that's best. But if you're going to err on one side or the other, err on the side of relationship. Get to know him. And out of that knowledge, he'll bring the passion for his word into you. That's good preaching, man. I'd give you a raise if I had it. Mm. Wow. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. NIV says wiped out. The, the original language means that your sins might be obliterated. That they might not just be canceled, but they might be blown to bits. That your sins might be wiped out. <sighs> Anybody like to have their sins wiped out? Oh, man. Do you know that he's already wiped them out? That the only thing that keeps us in a, a state of restriction is what we believe he's wiped out. When he died on the cross and was raised from the dead, the sin issue was dealt with once and for all. That's why I say we don't have a sin nature anymore, but we may have a sin pattern. And we may need to understand, I need to ask the Holy Spirit to change this pattern because there's things that Jesus has done that my understanding is only partial and I'm not getting the full benefit of the full revelation of everything that he did on the cross and in his resurrection. I don't get the full benefit. So Lord, open my mind, open my emotions, open my will, open my body and my spirit so that I can see the full benefit of everything that you've done. And he loves answering that prayer. I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> when, when, when you have done something for your children and their understanding of what you've done is restricted, it's limited, it could be just because of the maturation process. They're four years old and they don't understand that someday they're gonna inherit the empire. Oh, or it could be that they've been without for all this time. For, for such a long time, there hasn't been enough that they don't understand that there is an abundance with them. It's like, oh. And it could be because the church may have not have taught it properly that they believe that their sins need to go on the, the long form you need to itemize all your sins and you need to stay current each day, each week, each month, each year. 
and that you need to keep a, a, a fresh account of everywhere where you have fallen short. And so you have to keep that. The Lord wants us to know that the price that he paid in giving us his son and the price that the son paid in laying down his life, his life wasn't taken, he laid down his life, is more than adequate. That the name that has been given to the son is above every name. And that's why it's in the name of Jesus that the lame beggar was healed. A complete healing because it's a, it's a glorious name. It's a complete name. Mm. I love that. That's why your sin is completely atoned for because it was a supreme blood. It was more than the blood of goats and lambs. It was the very blood of the sinless Son of God that breaks all the power that sin would try to lay hold upon us. But we have a liar, an adversary that tries to make us believe that what is true is not true. And when we make a choice, he's right there to jump on it and says, if you really believe that you were forgiven, you wouldn't have done that. And why do you feel so guilty now? Oh, you feel guilty because you know it's not true. Because you know that you are rotten and that everybody else could be forgiven, but you can't. That's a lie. Straight from the pit, because he's, he's realizing he's, his time is short and his grip on you is becoming <laughs> slippery. He's losing his grip because the grip of the Lord is becoming stronger. And as that grip gets you, hmm, you can believe. I'm amazed. I'm 65 now. And there is so much theology that has shifted in my heart because I've experienced his love. I can, I can get this Bible to, to support some really bad theology that I believed. But in relationship, I see the harmony of what this word says relationally about his love for me. And it makes all the difference in the world. That times of refreshing, <laughs> as our sins are wiped out, times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshment. Who needs a vacation? Who needs a vacation from their problems? Who saw what about Bob? I need a vacation from my problems. It's my favorite movie. Oh, my stars. Of course, being a counselor, you know, Dr. Leo Marvin, I just identify with him so much. Poor Richard Dreyfus. Uh, we need a vacation. Times of refreshing. A lot of times we have, I think, religiously, we've, we've adopted a posture that says, okay, it's all right to rest a little bit, but not much. Because I start feeling guilty. And I find that in the body of Christ, more is done out of guilt because the church knew how to, to wield the weapon of guilt and condemnation upon the believers so that they could control and manipulate them. And it's like, oh Lord, forgive the church, forgive leadership, forgive us for all the ways we've manipulated people. Because the Lord doesn't want us to know that. He wants us to know times of refreshing. These are not just a, 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 little, a little respite. 
in between a very busy day, this is a way of life that he wants for us to know. And in the natural, there is a time to have a time of rest. In the seven days of the week, the Lord rested, God Almighty rested on the seventh day. We're supposed to rest. He creates us on the sixth day. He rests on the seventh. We come into the reality on the sixth day, our first day, what do we do? Rest. What kind of wisdom is that of a father who knows that after we just get created, he wants us to rest because he knows we got a big day coming the next day. We need to, to be wise with the wisdom of the Spirit of God to know how to bring the rest that our bodies, our spirits, and our soul needs so that we can function as fully redeemed people. Don't feel guilty if, if, if the Lord says, I want you to rest. The pay's the same. The blessing, he's with you whether you're resting or whether he said, I want you to go over and do such and such. Whatever it is that he has set before you, you get the blessing of his presence that he may send the Christ who has appointed for you, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Oh, Jesus, come. That he may send the Christ. Don't miss this. That he may send the Christ. This is not just a title. This is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. Why does he want to send the anointed one to you? Because we need the anointed one to move in his anointings. The anointed one is the one that's been sent to us so that we can live and move and function as Christ functioned, as the Lord Jesus functioned. It takes the anointing to be able to do those things. You've heard me say it now for three weeks in a row. I've got to say it a fourth week because you may have forgotten it by now. The enemy doesn't care how you treat Jesus. Doesn't really care. You can esteem him as a great teacher. You can esteem him as a wonderful prophet. You can esteem him as a great moral person but never as the anointed one because it's the anointing of the Lord that he heals. It's the anointing of the Lord where the supernatural comes. Jesus, the man at his baptism received the Holy Spirit and it came upon him and he flowed in the spirit and that's why he could heal the brokenhearted. He could proclaim good news to the poor. He could open blind eyes and open deaf ears. All the supernatural dynamic of healing the lame man happened because of the anointing of the Christ. And on Pentecost, the anointed one was sent to us, the Holy Spirit. The relationship between Holy Spirit and Jesus. Jesus says, I will pray my father and I, he will send another just like me. Another fruit. Remember the 
in the Greek, there's, there's different words for another. Another of the same kind. He's not bringing an apple and then sending an orange. He's bringing an apple and he's sending another apple. It's of the same essence. The Holy Spirit, <laughs> the anointing, and as he comes on us, we're able to do all that he's called us to do. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.